Greg Adams crashed into the logo and drops the gloves along with Bieksa. Bieksa with the telling blow. Side of the net, shoots, he scores! The boys alive! Marcus Naslin has his first, it's one nothing. Hornetuck with the left, missing that with the right. Oh, a big right from Hornetuck! Ripping is ripping some left. It's a two-on-one, Mason Raymond scores! Ryan Kessler shoots, he scores! You're listening to the Bucks and Nugs Podcast with Man Dan. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of Pucks and Nucks. As per usual, I'm Dan here with Matt. Big news in the podcast industry and in the hockey industry. Uh, but first, we have a big guest coming in uh, from the Canucks conversation. Ponis, will you introduce your good buddy? I think you're going to want to hear this. Might get a third man in. Third man in! That is the third man in! As a third man as in. As a third man in, but that he's going to get a game misconduct for being the third man in a, into an altercation. All right, and now, holy shit, folks, it's time for today's third man in. He's a good buddy of mine that I've known for a long time. We met playing baseball, and let me tell you, he is the best damn baseball player you've ever seen. This man is the reincarnation of Joe DiMaggio. He can most certainly hit a baseball from downtown Vancouver to my made-up place of Banff on the island. He is co-host of the Canucks Conversation, ladies and gentlemen, David Quadrelli. You did not disappoint with that intro. Holy smokes. David, man, it's good to have you on. Good to hear from you. First of all, from uh, both myself and Daniel, we both want to say a huge congratulations. I know we spoke a bit before and we've heard the news, but why don't you uh, share with our listeners uh, what's happening with you and Canucks Army? Yeah, I'm the new managing editor uh, over there. I'm actually editing an article as we speak. Uh, So it's fun to be back in an editor-in-chief role. I uh, haven't had one since I left the Canuck Way in January. So, yeah, the timing seemed right. And, yeah, it's a huge honor to take over for a site that's had such storied managing editors in the past. Like, you know, the Ryan Beaches of the world, Thomas Drance, all those guys that have been there before, J.D. Burke even, and then Jackson McDonald, the guy I'm taking over for, was an excellent editor as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited to see what we can do at the site. That's awesome, man. That's really good for you. Um, last time I saw you, I believe, was at that Express game, correct? Likely, yeah. Yeah, so uh, those tickets I got, uh, those were contests put out on your Twitter. I've been wondering for the past little while, did I really win the contest or were they just kind of... Here are some tickets No, for that was a fair contest, and the selection process was extremely fair, and uh, yeah, you definitely won those fair and square. Well, yeah, I, I, I definitely had a good time. I'm glad, uh, glad I won them. Uh, it was great. I, I'm looking forward to going to another game. Hopefully next season uh, things get sorted out. But uh, this kind of moves into our next question. Um, are, are you still with, with the Express right now? No, I'm not. So I was actually writing for a place called the BCHL Network before. Um, and, you know, that was started up by a professor of mine at uh, BCIT named Brian Weeb. He's been doing a lot of good work for the BCHL for a long time. Uh, covers the BCHL, like, pretty in-depth. And he started that under the Dub Network, who does the Giants and the rest of the WHL. Uh, shows Ethan Hocko. He was another Botcher Project fellow, and he... Uh, he writes for the Dub Network for the Giants, and uh, they started the BCHL Network, and I figured, ah, you know what, I live pretty close to Coquitlam, uh, watched the Burnaby Express growing up when they were uh, rebuilding Poirier, and uh, yeah, so I decided to take that job, 
covered the Express for a bit this season, and then uh, it was tough because basically as soon as I got the Express gig, I started getting bigger uh, gigs than that. So that kind of took a backseat for most of the season, which I wish it hadn't, but, you know, I got to go where the where the money is and where the uh, where the um, best thing for my future is in, in this industry. So I decided to basically kind of put that on the back burner, but they were okay with that. I wrote a couple stories every once in a while, and it was, it was definitely fun to watch that team because what a team they had with Clay Stevenson, the adversity he faced with his mother uh, passing away unexpectedly at the start of the season and then winning goaltender of the year. And in my opinion, he should have won MVP, but it's hard to compete with Ken Johnson, who's probably going to go number one in the uh, 2021 draft. So, yeah, it was, it was a great season for the Express, and it was fun to cover them for sure. David, do you mind touching on your involvement in the Botchford Project and what that meant for you and other aspiring young journalists? Yeah, for sure. So the Botchford Project, as I'm sure you guys know, was made by Canucks PR, and the Athletics sponsored it, uh, alongside Cat Botchford, uh, Jason Botchford's widow. So it was to remember the legacy of Jason Botchford, who passed away at the age of 45 uh, about, yeah, a year ago, basically. Um, and he left behind three young kids. His youngest is a son who's only four, and his oldest is a daughter who's eight. It's it's really sad. Um, so, yeah, he left behind a really young family, gone too soon. It was a heart heart failure. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was really tough to go through as somebody who just consumed his work, right? Like, he, I'm sure you guys have read some of Jason Boschford's work, um, he was he was something else. Like he was he is. Yeah, I think he'll always be the best reporter that this market's ever seen. And uh, yeah, like you know, you hear his stuff on Ten Forty, the Power Hour with Halford and Brust. Like he um, he really changed the way we consume media in this city. And it's part of the reason that Vancouver right now is arguing about the amateur of direct the amateur uh, scouting director. Like, no, no other market in the NHL even knows what their head scout's name is. But in Vancouver, everybody's arguing about him right now, and that's all because of Botch. And, like, he helped make this fan base one of the smartest fan bases in the league. Like, they consume hockey more than they consume anything here. Like, it's a big deal here, and I think Botch is a huge part of that. So, yeah, the Botch Project was to honor him and his legacy, his legacy, of course, being... He, uh, he, was, he was an advocate for young writers. The guys at Canucks Army, he had a big part in, uh, in a lot of people's come-ups, really. Like, always there for you. And uh, there's no one better to point to than Harmon Dial, who, uh, who's a friend of mine. And he, uh, he basically got started at Canuck Way, which is where I was for a bit. And then he quickly moved to Dealey Hive, and he quickly moved to um, Canucks Army. I'm sure he had a few more stops along the way. But Botch was seeing his work, and Harmon's really good with analytics, and he does it all by hand. Like, there's a reason they call him Boy Genius. That's what Botch called him. And uh, he helped Harmon get going uh, at The Athletic as a contributor. And then once Botch passed away and Thomas Drantz came back, um, Thomas Drantz is already going to come back, by the way, just in case you guys didn't know that. But yeah, he was already on his way back to work with Botch. Um, and then Harmon got signed on with The Athletic as a staff writer. So that was just a testament to Botch. Uh, helping out young writers and the Canucks PR and the Botchford family wanted to honor that. So they started up this thing called the Botchford Project. There was a um, bunch of applicants and then they they gave it to Kat Botchford and she basically picked the 10 applicants that she, she thought should come uh, to the to Rogers Arena, write about a game. You went to morning skate uh, and you're working under 
uh, like Thomas Drance, Ryan Beach was there, who works for the team now. Uh, but of course, he was the previous managing editor at Canucks Army, but he works for the team now. Um, but yeah, like picking those guys' brains was an experience like no other. Like I'd been to Rogers Arena before and I'd done media stuff before, but having everybody in your corner was a was a different experience and it's something you wouldn't get if it wasn't for this initiative. Like when I went to the arena, like I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but these guys weren't my friends back then. Like I didn't know these guys. Maybe some of them followed me on Twitter and I had to awkwardly introduce myself and they're like, Oh, okay. Like you're this guy, but nobody was offering me advice or anything except for one guy, Daniel Wagner. He was, he was great on that day. Um, but it's a totally different dynamic when you go for the Botchford project. Like, Everybody wants to see you succeed, and that was something that was really cool to me, and it, it meant a lot. And now, I, again, like I call a lot of these guys my friends, and I have them uh, at my disposal, which is super helpful. And I have them when I have to make a tough decision, like if I want to take over as managing editor at Canucks Army. Like this was a decision that I was able to bounce off of um, Drance and Beach and all these other guys. Like there's a lot of people that I have to thank from that Botchford Project day that have helped me get to where I am now. Um, and really, I guess it starts with Jason Botchford. Like, he, he was the reason that I got started writing. Like, I thought it was so cool what he was doing, and I was like, he's a great storyteller, and I love to write, and I love telling stories. Like, I should try this, and that's, you know, you guys all know the story. That's why I did it. Yeah, uh, obviously, such a cool experience. I know you've told me about it, and, and you know, li- reading some of your writing even, I know my dad... When he read an article back on when you were at the Canuck Way, I told him you wrote the article. He's like, really? David wrote that. It was kind of cool. He didn't realize, and I read it, and it was it was a great article. But uh, just adding on to the end of that uh, Botcher project, you were correct me if I'm wrong. You were one of the first people selected, right? Yes, I was the first one selected, and then yeah, like I, I gave him a shout out already. Stephen Hawkel was the next guy, uh, and yeah, he did a tremendous job as well. Yeah, so obviously you get to go there, get a watch a game, uh, write on a game, and and uh, that must have been such a such a cool experience for you, especially being such a follower of uh, Jason Botchford. But uh, we want to move on now to uh, something else you're doing now, uh, Canucks conversation. Uh, let, tell us how'd you get started with that? How did that all happen? Yeah, for sure. So, Canucks Conversation, for those that don't know, is the podcast that Chris Faber, who's now a good friend of mine, started back in, oh, geez, December of last year, I think was when he started it, like, December 2018, so, yeah, two years ago, whatever. Um, And he he started that podcast with the premise of, okay, there's a lot of people on Canucks Twitter. Most of the time, they're arguing with each other. Let's start a podcast where I interview all of these people and get the different opinions of Canucks Twitter, because you can only see what they're saying behind a screen and you can only read text from them but now you can hear their voice and you can hear what they actually sound like and what their opinions are so that was the idea behind the show that chris came up with and he put out five episodes and it was okay like the show i I hadn't listened to an episode i've told chris this before uh i listened to like the first episode and then i was like okay it's a tough podcast there's so many of these i'm not a big podcast listener anyway so i was like okay like this is this is whatever, like, it's a great podcast. I listened to the first episode, and I was like, I'm going to guest on it one day because uh, Chris and I had been DMing or whatever. He's actually the reason I got started writing, but we can get into that later if you want. But anyways, so he starts this show, and then uh, he throws a DM out to Jason Boschford and says, hey, I do a little podcast. Uh, we're on, like, our sixth episode. Would you like to come on? And 
is like, yeah, let's do it, Chris. And he goes on Chris's podcast, gives him some of the best, like, radio podcasts, whatever you want to call it, gives him some of the best of that, and Chris and him go back and forth. And I'm sure you've listened to Chris. Like, Chris is a natural behind the mic. Like, I'm not quite as good as he is at that. Like, I think Chris is the better podcaster of the two of us, for sure. But uh, he goes on with, with Chris, and then Bosch shares it. And the podcast blows up. Like, all of a sudden, Chris is getting, like, 900 listeners on that episode. And then that number doesn't go down. Like, those people are like, wow, okay, like, Botch is cool here. But this Chris guy knows what he's doing. Like, Chris is really good. So he grew his listenership that way. And then the podcast just took off from there. Uh, And then about a year after that, uh, he approached me on episode, I, I want to say it was like 51 or something, and I, I went on as a guest. I had been on a I had been guesting on Chris's show like three times. Anytime somebody big canceled, I went on and I tried to give him the best talking I could, uh, and he likes me, we're, we, we get along really well, and he, uh, he asked me on my last appearance, he's like, hey, like I'm moving out to Vancouver, and I'm doing the radio program with you, we're, uh, we're both going to that program in September, and he's like, why don't we uh, why don't we start doing the podcast together? Like, do you want to join me as a co-host? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. So I joined him up, joined up with him on Canucks Combo. We've been together for, geez, I think I joined in January, so about four months now, and uh, it's been it's been a ton of fun. Like, we've grown the podcast together. We got a new sponsor uh, in Zephyr Epic, and we've got a bunch of new stuff coming. And just like the growth of the podcast is crazy to me that it's still growing and like we've started up a patreon which everybody should go check out and we're doing written articles behind there now and there's just uh yeah it's it's been it's been really crazy really to leave canuck way and go do this canucks combo with chris and now i'm back at canucks army like i don't know it's just kind of a whirlwind i guess but i guess that's what the past like year and a half of my life has been because you know ever since i left sfu it's just been like okay, this is what's going, you just kind of roll with the punches, every day is a new day, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. you, you and Chris are all right, you're no, uh, you're no Matt and Dan, I can tell you that much, I don't even know how many listeners we're averaging yet, we're too early to get a, get a solid average, um, but yeah, no, you guys are good, you guys, you guys seem to be having a lot of fun with it, I know me and you talk all the time, and, and you seem to really be, uh, be enjoying it, which is good. Yeah, uh, it's, it's awesome, it's, it's great. One thing I want to ask you is uh, you've obviously had a lot of cool experiences now. You've been doing this for over a year. What cool guests, experiences, and uh, one thing I couldn't help notice on uh, episode 77 titled Everything, uh, you guys talked about everything, uh, but one thing that stood out was you got a new sponsor on top of Parallel 49, uh, Manscaping. I'm just wondering how that uh, all came about. Yeah, so uh, yeah. So the reason that title is Everything it's because Jacob Markstrom one-worded me on the Zoom call. Like, I'm on all the uh, Canucks Zoom calls that they, they're doing right now with the pandemic. And uh, I asked Markstrom if there was anything on the technical side of his game, in particular, that he improved on. And he said, yeah, everything. And then flashed his classic Markstrom smile at me where he can see me. So I kind of, like, looked at him. I was like, you can give me more, Jacob. And he didn't. So I was like, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Thanks a lot, man. And that was, that was his answer to my question. And it worked well in my Markstrom article. But, yeah, that was why that was called everything, because we were just laughing that he one-worded me. But, uh, yeah, it was all in good fun, and it was great. But um, to get to your original question, which was, sorry, what was it? Uh, just the cool experiences or guests you've had on the show over the years plus now. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, 
geez, uh, when I, since I've been there, Ray Ferraro's probably the coolest guy I've been able to talk to. Like that guy is just a natural talker, and like he was he was grinding my gears about uh, ordering the same pasta dish as Chris at Pasta Amore and all this other stuff. Like Ray's a great guy, and I'm sure you guys can tell that just from uh, hearing his radio hits or whatever. Like he's awesome, and he made us he made us feel really comfortable talking to him. And like yeah, he's just. Ray Ferraro is just a stand-up guy, and I really like talking to him. But I'd say the coolest guest I've ever had on the show, like, I mean, we've done Brogan Rafferty, and him and I had a good chat about The Bachelor, and that was a lot of fun. Jeez, uh, the coolest guy I've had on the show. You guys yeah, had, honestly, uh, it's probably Ferraro. Brent Sopel and uh, Matthias Olin, I believe. Yeah, we, we didn't have Olin. We had Sopel, but he talked a lot about Olin, so he was great, too, yeah. Um... Jeez, I'm trying to think, because we've had... Dan Murphy was a lot of fun. Uh, Dan Murphy is a really good interviewer, and he's a really good interviewer. He's just fun to talk to. So, I mean, he's good. And then, like, you know, like, Patrick Johnson was great as well. You know, Tom Strantz, all these guys. But, again, they're not, like... They're me- they're just media guys. <laughs> I know if they, if they hear that, they'll, uh, they'll give me shit for saying that. But, again, like, those guys are all media guys, so... I mean, they're definitely fun to talk to, and, like, I, I love talking to them even off-air or whatever, but I guess John Garrett, too. John Garrett was somebody that was really fun to talk to and really easy to talk to as well. So, yeah, I'll say either John Garrett or Ray Ferraro. Yeah, you've definitely had some cool opportunities, and, and we're hoping hoping to maybe get there eventually. Uh, before we move on to what we want to talk about next, which is more Canucks-based, two things. One, one question quickly for you. Does Ray Ferraro say more than he does in the NHL video game? Yes, yes. He, uh, yeah, he has very colorful answers, and he, uh, he doesn't say the same thing twice. I didn't tell him that I, I have the commentary muted in NHL 20 because of how much <laughs> I play, but that, uh, that would have been funny to get his reaction on that. Uh, and also, not so much a question, but Pasta Amore, one of my favorite restaurants in town. Go check him out. Claudio's great. Food's great. Um... I know you love it there. I love it there. It's 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 a great restaurant. But uh, we'd be uh, we'd be uh, mistaken if we didn't uh, talk a little bit Canucks. So first things first, uh, we want to hear for you personally. What do you think the offseason priority should be for this team? Fix the blue line. The blue line's horrible for this team. Like that was. If you look at one part of the team that needs fixing, right? Let's let's say in a hypothetical world that they're able to re-sign Tyler Toffoli and they're able to bring back Jacob Marchrum. Those are their two big ticket UFAs. There's a guy like Josh Levo who's on the lower end. Josh Levo's not going to be cashing in on a big payday or anything this offseason. So they're going to hopefully be able to get all three of those guys back. But let's for now just say they get Toffoli and Marchrum back. You're finding that because you know what you have in Marchrum. If Marchrum fails, you've still got Patrick Demko who's learning. He's going to be great. I'm sure of it. So your goaltending is fine. Okay, now we figured that out. Let's look at the top six. You've got Besser on the right wing with Miller and Pedersen. That's a great line in itself. Then you put Horvat, Pearson, and Toffoli right behind that line. That immediately becomes one of the best top sixes in the league. Okay? So if they get those guys back, your top six is fine. That's something we haven't been able to say in a very long time. I'll remind you guys, in Elias's, Elias Pedersen's rookie year, Louis Erickson and Nikolai Goldobin were on Elias Pedersen's line. That was the Canucks' second line. And, of course, we had Besser with Horvath, and that was just an absolute... Can we swear on your podcast? Yes. Absolutely. 
that was an absolute clusterfuck. Like, that was absolutely horrible. And they fixed it. They went out and they got JT Miller. And he was really the biggest breakout player in the NHL this year. And Michael Furland as well. Like, you, you hope that Michael Furland can get healthy. But who knows, really? It's, a concu- it's so many concussion problems. And it's just, it's really, really worrisome. But my point stands that the top six is just fine. Okay, now let's look at the... Uh, the, the bottom six, the bottom six forward group is maybe the next thing you'd want to fix, but it's not really the thing that's going to put you over the edge. You've got Adam Godzett, who's a solid third-line center. He's a very serviceable third-line center, and he's only getting better. He's overcome the odds. He's learned how to play the defensive game. Travis Green is starting to trust him more. And now you put Jake Vertanen on that line because you don't need him in your top six because you've got Toffoli. You put Jake Vertanen, then you put one of Antoine Roussel or Josh Levo on that third line on the other wing. And all of a sudden, you've got one of the best top nines in the league. And then, you know, we can talk about the fourth line. There's a couple anchor contracts on that line, and that's not going to be able to change. Uh, You've got Jay Beagle in the center, and presumably you're going to have Brandon Sutter and uh, one of, like, a Tyler Mott or, uh, again, like Antoine Roussel could slot in there. There's just so so many options for mediocrity on that fourth line. So, I mean... Maybe you'd want to improve the bottom six, but again, that's not that's really not what's going to get you over the hump because right now you've got a pretty good top nine forward group. So then the focus, if you're looking at what needs to be improved, goes to the blue line. Aside from Quinn Hughes, a lot of the, excuse me, a lot of the, actually all of the Canucks defensemen had a negative Corsi. That means that when they were on the ice, the Canucks were controlling less of the puck than they would have liked to. More than half the time, they're playing in their own end, and they're getting chances against them. That's not very good. So you have Quinn Hughes, and nobody's going to tell you that Quinn Hughes isn't legit. Nobody's going to tell you that Quinn Hughes is someone that you need to be patient with. Quinn Hughes should be given every opportunity because when he has been given every opportunity to play a matchup role, to play in tough situations, he's excelled at it. And he earned his coach's trust. He did that like one month into the season. So Quinn Hughes, not a problem. Chris Tanev now, he's a USA. You have to look at him. What's he going to want in free agency? He's going to use Quinn Hughes as a bargaining chip, I'm sure, that he's going to say, look, I made Quinn Hughes better because look look at the numbers when I'm playing with him compared to when somebody else is playing with him. And Chris Tanev played all of the games this year. That's the big thing for him. Health is Chris Tanev's biggest problem. He played in all 69 games, nice, for the Canucks this season. So he's going to use that as a bargaining chip. Who knows what he's going to get in free agency. They might have to let him walk. So there, you have a hole on your blue line in your top four. That's a big hole that you have to fill. So now we look at the second pairing, and that's Edler Myers. And, you know, I'm an advocate for Myers playing with Hughes, but again, we can get into that later. Edler's still got one year on his deal. Edler was probably the Canucks' second best defenseman this year. I know, Paul, if you like to joke about Edler with me, but he, he honestly was the one of the Canucks' best defensemen this year, probably right behind Hughes. And playing in that second-line role and not being relied on so heavily to play 30 minutes a night as he has in past years definitely helps, and I think that's why we saw a better version of Edler this year than maybe we have in years past. So you're fine there, but then you look at that bottom pairing. Troy Stetcher's an RFA with arbitration rights. He could have a similar fate to Ben Hutton of last year, so who knows what's going to happen there, and then you've got Jordy Ben who looked like just awful in the second half of the season and it just looked like he couldn't put anything together. It was really, really tough to watch because I thought he was going to be great this year. And then Fantenberg as well, somebody who looked like a very serviceable 7 D man, all of a sudden looks like a sack of potatoes when he's out there with Tyler Myers. Like, it's, it's horrible. 
possible to watch this third pair play. So that's the Canucks' big issue right now. If you're looking for an issue that the Canucks need to address, it's either their cap problems, which are totally self-inflicted, or it is their defense core. Yeah, no, just uh, I, I think me and Ponis both agree with you when we say uh, the D-men definitely need uh, to be ramped up in the next couple years to have a chance to, you know, go deep in the playoffs. Um, but kind of touching on, uh, you know, cap space in the future, have you heard anything about the compliance buyout and uh, if this is like a realistic option for us? Yes, I have. So this is what I've heard. I've heard that they're looking at doing it and it might not happen. That's, there's no concrete plan yet. So the last time this happened was with the lockout season. I think it was, what, 2004 or something? And every team got one. So it's happened in the past. So this isn't an un, it is an unprecedented situation for sure, With obviously with COVID and the global pandemic shutting down the league rather than a lockout. So that might be why maybe we don't see a compliance bio. Because the reason for it is the cap isn't going to go up. The cap was originally predicted to go up 4 or $8 million, which helps out a team like the Canucks dramatically. It helps out a team that has to sign their players. And the cap was, didn't go up last year, and it was supposed to. So if it doesn't go up much for two years in a row, that hurts a team like the Canucks. And the league's looking at that and saying, like, okay, like maybe we cut, cut some teams some slack. And again, like if the Canucks got it, you all know who it would be used on. It would immediately be used on Louis Erickson. Um, and the Canucks would be shed of his $6 million dead weight, um, and that would just be huge for them. It'd be huge in re-signing uh, Markstrom and Toffoli. Like, that could be the difference maker as to whether or not they can sign him, because as it stands, look, guys, what they're going to have to do is pair a pick or an asset with a crap contract like a Sutter or a Erickson, and you're going to have to trade it to a team with cl- cap flexibility. And the Canucks should be that team that has cap flexibility because their two best players are on ELCs right now. And they're both going to make like over $10 million when they need their contract. So the compliance buyout would certainly help them because as it stands, if they have any hope in hell of signing all of their free agents, they're going to have to do what I just outlined, and that's pairing an asset with an anchor contract and shipping it off to a team with cap flexibility. Yeah, uh, for sure. We, we I think we, we both agree it would be used on Louis Erickson if we do end up getting one. Uh, to go back a little bit, though, you, you touched on the blue line. Uh, there's been rumors uh, Trampkin might come back, hopefully this time with a helmet that fits properly. Uh, how do you feel about that? Oh, my gosh. You got me st- you're going to get me going. Here we go. Okay, well, Nikita Trampkin. Okay, so a guy I trust a lot is J.D. Burke of Elite Prospects. He's the editor-in-chief of Elite Prospects. He's watched Triamkin play. And, like, I, I can't say I've watched as much Triamkin in the KHL as, say, a J.D. Burke has or any of these other guys who do scouting for their career. I'm not a scout. But what I saw when Triamkin was here with the Canucks was a very okay defenseman playing on a very very bad Canucks team. One of the worst we've seen in many years. That was the year they drafted Elias Pedersen, let me remind you. There wasn't much to be thrilled about when it came to the on-ice product that the Canucks were putting out. So people grew an affinity to this six foot seven Russian giant who's pretty mobile. Give, give him some credit. Like He's a good skater. Pretty mobile for a six seven defenseman. But he has no hockey IQ. He has a decent shot, but he doesn't know where to be when he's in the defensive zone or the offensive zone. He looks lost out there. So what I say to fans who are like, oh, Triampton, come back, come back. It's like, yeah, you know what? 
maybe three years ago, bring back a 22, 23-year-old Triampion and try and develop him because he was on a good trajectory when it came to his development. The Canucks were working with him on his offensive skills. They were working with him on his defensive positioning. But then he booked it to Russia because he didn't like the playing time he was getting. So he quit on the team. Keep that in mind. He goes to Russia, and he plays poorly while he's there. Like, his first season, he was named captain, okay? Has a good season. Named to the All-Star team. Then the next season, he's stripped of the captaincy, and his coach is calling him out and saying, I have more guys who give more effort. So it looks like it's the same old song and dance. It's like, you, you just see a low-effort player, and I don't understand why fans have such an affinity to this guy. Like, if he comes back in a depth role, you sign him immediately. If he's willing to go to the Comets, if he's willing to sit out a lot of games and earn a spot of training camp, you sign him immediately. That's a no-brainer, okay? But that's the thing, is his agent went on TSN 1040 and said, I don't see why Utica is a viable option. Like, I don't see that happening. And it's like, really? Because you look at the, what the Comets have right now, and they have a guy like a Brogan Rafferty who probably should have made the team out of camp last year. And this was the one season, of course, where the Canucks get no injuries to their blue line on the right side. So there was no need for Rafferty to come up. But this is a guy who led all rookie defensemen in scoring, and he deserves deserves a shot at the NHL level. And he's going to be 25, same age as Triamkin, might I add. And he's on a good contract. And the Canucks, you know, my friend Chris Faber is going to have an article coming out very, very soon about Brogan Rafferty and how he wants to make the team this year and how he deserves to. And Nikita Triamkin just puts a big, big spear right through that and demands a spot on the team like, that's not going to fly. It shouldn't fly. And I'm thinking that the Canucks aren't going to be as quick to go out and sign him as maybe people thought they would be. And I mean, it's a good sign to see because if you're not going to, if you're not going to get him on a favorable contract, he's just going to go against your cap. And for what? Like, if he doesn't want to play in Utah, what's he going to do? You don't want to just put him in the lineup. Like, we know this coach. Okay, we know Travis Green. And he, if there's one thing Travis Green doesn't do, is give out ice time to players who either A, demand it, B, think they deserve it, or C, don't earn it. And I think Triumphant checks all of those boxes. Again, guys, this is a big defenseman who is mobile, but doesn't have a sliver of hockey IQ. And that's a huge problem when it comes to this defenseman. And that's why I don't think that the Canucks are going to go out and sign him. And I don't think they should, if unless unless he's willing to go to Utica. Again, that's the thing here. If he's not willing to go to Utica, just stay away from him. See, I don't know. I still think it's because his helmet was too small. But uh, you kind of touched on it earlier, uh, the fact that we might have to let Tanev go. What do you see as a viable option to replace him if that happens? Well, that's exactly it, right? I don't see one. Because, sure, Troy Stetcher is the most popular bottom-pairing defenseman in the NHL. Everybody loves him. You know, he's Troy from Richmond. He's a great player. Like, he plays up and down the lineup. He's fine. He can play in your top four when it comes to somebody getting injured. But do you really want to go into this season with your right side looking like Meyer, Stetcher, and then, let's say, Brogan Rafferty? Because that's the next guy on the Canucks depth chart when it comes to the right side. Uh, Jordy Ben can play the right side. He actually played it pretty well when he was given an opportunity last year. But again, you really want to take a step back because I think losing Tanev, actually I know losing Tanev, is a step backwards when it comes to this defense course. So, I mean, who are they going to sign, right? Like, 
you have to look. Are they going to have to pull off a trade? Are they going to have to deal from a place of strength? Are they going to have to give up an asset? What's going to have to happen here for them to get this blue line fixed? And I think re-signing Tanev is a good option. Again, what does the contract look like? Well, okay, what did he make this year? I think $4.5 million. He's probably going to be asking for a raise. Like, this is a good, this was a good season for Tanev. Like, he can point to staying completely healthy. He can point to helping out Quinn Hughes. Again, this guy is probably going to be looking for a pay raise. His last contract was five years at $4.5 million, okay? I'm thinking he's going to be looking for that. He's going to be looking for um, expansion draft protection. He's going to be looking to stay in Vancouver. So, I mean... I wonder what the, what the team looks like if he doesn't come back. Like, if we're looking at just within the organization, it's Brogan Rafferty for sure. He's the next guy up. But again, are they going to trust Brogan Rafferty when they haven't really seen him play much at the NHL level? Because again, like, guys, I'll remind you, the guy right behind Brogan Rafferty in scoring for defensemen in the AHL was Derek Pouliot. And we know how bad he is because we know that firsthand. So, I mean, you can't put too, too much faith in a guy who's, only done that at the AHL level, but you have to give him a shot. Like, that's what they have to do. And every time they have given him a shot at the NHL level, he's excelled. So, I mean, do with that what you will. I don't know if the organization is ready to just cut their losses with Tanev and say, no, Rafferty's ready. Like, they have to get him some games, and they have to take a good look at him to, to figure out if what they have in him. Uh, David, we kind of touched on this with our last guest. Uh, we're hoping you can give us some more insight on uh, what you think for a cup window here in Vancouver, if it's up soon or if it's a, a little ways away due to cap space or anything else that would uh, factor into that. Jeez, it's got to be within like two or three years, right? Like, I know some people, it was easy to say it four or five years. My friend Clay Emu said that when he was talking to Dranster, and Dranster was just laughing because <laughs> Brock Besser is going to be 28 in four to five years. Like, these guys are in their primes now. Like, you look at Elias Pettersson, you look at Quinn Hughes, these guys are only getting better. But can you say the same for Bo Horvat? Can you say the same for Brock Besser in two years? Like, I fully believe Besser's going to have a bounce-back year next year. And I think we're going to get a 30-goal score out of Brock Besser next year. But again, look at this team's core. Like, they're here. They're here right now. JT Miller's here. JT Miller's 26, okay? He's only getting older. So... When you look at a team's cup window, like, yeah, it's opening right now, but how much of it is shackled by these bad bottom six contracts that they went out and signed? Like, they should have cap flexibility right now. They were a rebuilding team. But instead, they have Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, and, hell, I would even put Antoine Roussel into that, uh, into that loop because, you know, he still got two years after this year on his deal at a pretty sizable cap hit. So, I mean... You overpay for these guys, and this is what you're left with. And, I mean, the cup window should be now when it comes to what the Canucks have. Like, you still have a year of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes at $925,000 each. Do you know how much that's going to jump after next year? Like, those guys are going to be looking at 10, 11. Like, those guys are going to be looking to get a significant pay raise. And I mean, do with that what you will. Like, they're going to have to make something happen here because these guys are playing some of the best hockey right now and they're going to get better for sure. But I mean, your cup window only stays open for so long when you've got guys like Miller who all of a sudden, like, originally he was looked at as a complimentary piece. But now 
I would I would say Miller's a part of the core. Like with how well he's played, like you have to capitalize on that. You players like Miller don't just come along. You know what I mean? Like the way he's playing right now, and I hope he can do it again next year. I think he can. He's on a very very favorable contract. I wonder what he can do next year, another year after that. I I wonder how long he can keep this up. I do. And that's why I think that the the cup window is, again, within the next two or three seasons. Yeah, real briefly, just because you touched on it there, what do you consider a fixed, uh, like, what fixed number is considered a win for the Canucks if we can get Petey and Hughes both under, like, 16, 17 million or a little higher than that? Oh, jeez. You know what, man? Like, it's probably going to be higher than that. Like, it's almost certainly going to be higher than that. Like, I think both of these guys are going to be looking in the 10-plus range so that's 20 at the minimum right like man i mean i i just don't see them taking less especially with the cap likely going up with the seattle expansion draft like again with vegas we saw like an eight million dollar cap increase because of the new tv deal so assuming the pandemic's over by then and you get the seattle expansion again like you're looking at a pretty sizable increase and that doesn't bode well for the canucks when it comes to signing those players because then all of a sudden, the market value goes up. That's why a guy like a Nate McKinnon or a Leon Drysaddle, for example, their contracts look maybe like, especially Drysaddle. That's the that's what I want to point to. Like people, when that contract was signed, were like, "Oh, Oilers just got fleeced." Now look at it. They've got this guy who's going to be in the running for the Hart Trophy with his line mate right behind him. Okay, at eight million dollars. Like that is a great contract and. Again, like if Leon Draisaitl had to sign a contract today, it'd be for way more than that. And again, this all goes back to the TV deal. And of course, it goes back to performance as well. But again, this doesn't bode well for the Canucks when it comes to their value because if they're going to be signing anything long-term, which I'm sure both all parties, Pedersen, Hughes, and the Canucks, will be wanting to do, they're going to be thinking about the cap going up. And they're going to say, okay, how long is it going to be after, I, after the ink dries on this contract? How long is it going to be until I'm an undervalued player? Right? Like, I want to get what I'm worth. And that's what these guys are going to be looking to do. So that's why I say I think it's going to be over 10 for both of them. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's, it's going to be interesting. Like you said earlier, cap space is a big problem for this team. Uh, last two questions here. It's kind of a two-parter before we move into the next part of, of this interview. Uh, the NHL is obviously talked about returning soon. Uh, Vancouver's been offered as a host city. How do you how do you feel about this whole situation? How the NHL is going to return, and what are your thoughts on us possibly being one of those central hub cities that Gary Bettman's talked about? Well, yeah, like John Horgan put in his bid yesterday, and I don't know if you guys saw it. They uh, put out the email, and they didn't blur out Gary Bettman's email. So yeah, I'm we're going to sure touch on that a little well. bit later. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that's just unbelievable. I, I, I can't believe they did that. But anyways, we'll get on that later, sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what do I think about a host city? Yeah, I mean, the players, are, are they have a return-to-play committee, and they're ready to go, but again, like, in talking to, you know, guys with families, like, G.T. Miller was asked about it, and he's like, no, I wouldn't want to play in August, that would suck. Be away from my family? Like, the Millers stayed in Vancouver, they live in Northland. So, like, they stayed here. They didn't go back to Pittsburgh, where they usually live. That's where they summer. They didn't go back. They're like, it's probably safer for our daughters, safer for us, if we just stay put. I don't think they want to go back to play. Like, again, like, every player's different, sure. Like, again, but 
you look at it and you look at what's going on in the timeline, Bo Horvath's expecting his first son in July. Is he really not going to be able to attend the birth of his first child because he's cooped up in, say, Edmonton in a hotel while his wife is in Toronto or Vancouver? Like, again, like, you have to think beyond, okay, we need, we need to make sure we cash in on this TV deal. We need to make sure that we return to play. Like, you have to look past it. You have to look at the player's health. And again, like, I don't think it's very helpful when a guy like Bill Daly comes out and says, like, oh, yeah, even if a player gets coronavirus while we're returning to play, like, we're not stopping the league. We're going to keep going. But it's like, yeah, but then that whole team is going to get coronavirus. And presumably, like, you're going to have maybe a team that's in the playoffs be like, oh, sorry, we can't compete because all, all of our team has coronavirus. Like, this is... You know, like, the more I talk about it, the more I see that this probably isn't going to work. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, it'd be great. I'd, I'm dying to watch sports just as much as you guys are. Like, I'd love to have that to write about rather than early June draft, which is what we're doing right now at Connects Army. Like, I'd love to have some actual hockey to write about. But that's just not the situation we're in right now. We're in pretty unprecedented times. Yeah, that's one thing we talked about a lot was just the whole... Uh, if one guy gets it, you have to stop your whole operation, and you know that's just a huge turnoff for an already you know losing revenue NHL. So, um, thank you for your insight, though, David. We're gonna move on to the last thing we want to talk about with you, which is the lightning round. Gotcha. Um, it's just hot topics, discussions, and whatever else we've talked about on our show through our short history. And uh, if you don't mind, we'll just uh, list off about nine questions to you, uh, just to wrap things up here. Sure, man. All right, Sadine's best winger. Alex Burroughs. Will McDavid win a Stanley in Edmonton? No. Does Marcus Nazan's jersey belong in the rafters? No. 2010 <laughs> Olympic Canadian team or 2014 Olympic Canadian team? 10 for sure. Uh, rookie of the year? Queen Hughes. Better Hughes in the long run? Queen Hughes. Best Canucks GM of all time? Ooh, Pat Quinn. 2020 Cup winner? Oh, man. Nobody? Like, who knows, right? I mean, whoever's going to be is going to have an asterisk. So let's just say the Vancouver Cup, because that's the most Vancouver thing ever. Love it. And uh, if you could only go to one fast food joint for the rest of your life, which one would it be? McDonald's. Good choice. That's mine, too. I had Pat Quinn, so so I got that one on you, Dan. But uh, David, we appreciate your time so much. We know you're a busy guy with all this new stuff going on. And, and also, we appreciate everything you've done for us, helping us get started. I mean, you've been a big help for both of us. And uh, hopefully, we can all get together when this whole thing ends. And, uh, and uh, maybe me and you can go toss the ball around for sure. Yeah, I mean, we could technically do that in a week, I think, with the restrictions getting lifted, which is great. But... Uh... Yeah, we'll have to keep in touch for sure. Thanks a lot, um, David, for uh, for this interview. You gave us a lot of insight um, and obviously your help with getting us started. So uh, we appreciate it very much. Anytime, guys. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. Thanks, David. It's great to talk to you. So that was David Quadrelli of the Canucks Conversation. We'd like to thank him for coming on and sharing his insight with us. Uh, it was very good insight, as we expected. It was a great interview. Um, so we'd like to thank him for coming on again. Uh, go check him and Chris Faber out at the Canucks Conversation podcast. On a sadder note, though, we, um, as of uh, May 6th, yesterday, uh, at this time of the recording, Zach McEwen's father, Craig McEwen, uh, 
passed away. Uh, we'd like to wish our condolences to Zach and the rest of his family in this uh, extremely difficult time. Yeah, uh, obviously just, just terrible news, not what we needed to hear. Uh, all the best to the McEwen family. I know Canucks Nation is thinking of them. We wish them our condolences, and uh, and we're so sad to hear that news. Yeah, um, 2020 has brought on some pretty terrible things to humanity and people as a whole. So we're going to try and be a little more optimistic here. We got some big news coming up in the NHL about uh, returning, and um, BC's also plan to reopen. So we're going to dive into the news. Because now we're going to do the news. Yes, all right. So first big news, uh... Brendan Leipzig, there have been some interesting messages he sent out uh, that have been released. Uh, some, some were very, very inappropriate, and uh, and uh, we're wondering, or Dan, I'm wondering, uh, do you think uh, the league's going to do anything uh, about this? Yeah, so unfortunately for him, his messages got, uh, his private messages got leaked in a group chat on Instagram where he made some uh, pretty offensive remarks towards um, women, teammates, and uh, others. So we obviously don't condone, neither does the league or the Washington Capitals of his remarks. Obviously, former Vancouver Canuck, not cool. Um, So we totally do not condone any of those remarks. Um, but he did say some funny things, though, that did get leaked. On a side note, uh, he called Jake Vertanen and his crew the worst crew ever, which is pretty funny, if you ask me. Um, obviously, he was a former teammate of Jake's. Um, so that's, I don't know, man. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I think I think that's the one the one message we can kind of sit at and, and laugh at because that one was, that one was, was pretty good. Um, also big news in vancouver uh again as uh just kind of came out in the past few days from when we're recording this uh judd brackett uh possibly leaving the canucks uh responsible for drafting some key players in this rebuild uh dan what are your thoughts on this yeah so for our listeners judd brackett is the head of amateur scouting for the canucks Um, obviously responsible for a lot of draft picks and hidden gems later on in the draft, Um, like, unfortunately, Tyler Madden, who we now is on the LA Kings. Um, But nonetheless, this guy, you know, does a great job, and he just wants a little bit more power. He wants uh, complete autonomy over the draft and, you know, and and picks, and Jim Benning isn't willing to to do that. Um, So there's a bit of tension in the front office right now, which is a reoccurring theme in our front office. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I don't know when a head of amateur scouting, not to take anything away from him, has ever had power over a GM though. So I'm I'm kind of with Jim Benning on this one. It's it's tough to say when the guy's responsible for drafting, you know, PD and and more recently Paul Col- Paul Colson. Uh, I know Quads touched on it in his interview. Uh, not a lot of play- people know their uh, amateur scout, and uh, and. What he told us was uh, uh, Jason Botchford is a big reason why, you know, people know a lot about this team. Uh, honestly, I I don't think in any other market, I know he kind of said this too, I don't think anybody would really care if their head of amateur scouting got fired. So, I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting situation for sure. I, I don't know if, if it's best for the team if he leaves per se. But, I mean, if, if there's going to be 
if there's going to be clashing and, and it's going to cause problems in the future, uh, maybe it's just time for them to look somewhere else. Yeah, tune in to J.D. Burke on the TSN 1040 for more information on this story. But moving forward, um, there's been a lot of emergence uh, talking of uh, Vancouver as the host, central host hub city for continuation of NHL games, which we've been talking about for the last few episodes now, about how the NHL is looking for cities that have low COVID rates, uh, low new cases, that is, um, you know, NHL caliber arenas and hotels and um, are just reasonable options for this. Um, And Vancouver has kind of emerged as one of those. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we check all the boxes here. Uh, the government of BC and, and uh, the Premier and, and the Bonnie Henry, they're, they're all doing a great job in keeping our numbers down. And, and we're considering for the amount of people we have here, I, I think we're doing an excellent job. Um, as cool as it would be to have everybody come here, I don't know necessarily, I guess the players would be locked up, so it wouldn't have much of an impact. But, I mean, that's a lot of uh, responsibility on the province and the city of Vancouver and the Canucks organization to make sure this goes smoothly. You know, something goes wrong, one player catches coronavirus, that's not going to look too good for us, right? So, as cool as it would be, it's a big risk. Yeah, and one thing that I'm scared of is people going to, like, uh, outside the Pacific Rim Fairmont, for example, and just looking for the ne- their NHL star, you know, their superstar, looking to see guys get autographs, which is obviously a huge concern because these guys got to be as isolated as possible. But how do you tell people, hey, Jack Eichel, Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid are all in all in the same city, maybe even in the same hotel on different floors, and you, you can't see them, right? Like, it's, uh, I think it'll cause, you know, some concern in that way. But I'm sure the NHL is going to have the security and safety of the players top priority and you know invest good money in that to make sure that this is a you know all goes all operation honestly i i wouldn't be surprised if you know say it does come here or whatever city it ends up going to if if they get the local police involved you know to really keep people away because like we talked about a few episodes ago i mean the nhl someone in the nhl catches a case you know coronavirus i mean that's it that's it right that's a huge loss for the league and and it, like I said, it's going to be a huge problem for wherever that happened. Um, obviously, we don't want that to happen. It would be terrible. And we we obviously want hockey to return as quickly as possible. But it's got to be done in the right way. Yeah. And uh, Premier John Horrigan of BC just sent in his bid to host here. Um, Justin Trudeau said that uh, anyone traveling from out of Canada will have to quarantine for 14 days before they can start training or playing games or whatever that entails. But Premier John Horgan said, you know, we're open to hosting, we're hoping to hosting games here. Um, and in that email that he's now posted has uh, Gary Bettman's email in it too, which he left in. So for anyone looking to contact Gary Bettman for any reasons whatsoever, um, you can reach him at GBB602 at NHL.com. That is G as in Greg, B as in Bob, and B as in Brendan Leipzig. 602 at nhl.com yeah uh any complaints you have could be anything could even be about this show please send them into gary bettman we don't want to hear your complaints about our show okay (laughs) um but yeah that's uh i'm sure he's going to be getting a lot of emails and i'm sure he's bound to change that email very quickly so get them in now yeah although it's going to be a few few days before people hear this (laughs) 
<laughs> oh yeah, we don't record live. That's a constant theme here. That's we seem to be messing that one up today. Um, yeah, no. So that's that's a that's a big mistake. But uh, more local news. Uh, not so much hockey related, but kind of related to this podcast, I would say. Uh, BC has announced they plan to reopen for May long weekend, which is the the 16th, 17th, 18th. Uh, anyone from not BC listening and wondering what the hell May long weekend is, uh, mid-May, end of May, they give us a Monday off for what they call Victoria Day. and uh, Yeah, if you and, listen uh, from uh, Saskatchewan or Manitoba and are unaware, I'm sorry. Not because you don't know, but because you live in Saskatchewan or Manitoba. That's just too bad. Um, but yeah, uh, BC's made a plan to reopen parks by the 14th, restaurants by the 19th, um, and even the golf courses, the pitch and putt golf courses here in Burnaby have opened up as of May 1st. I know me and you are hitting the links tomorrow at Central Park, which is actually not tomorrow for when this people when the people are listening that is tomorrow may 8th friday may 8th so if you uh want to hop in your delorean and uh come visit us last friday may 8th at central park we'll be signing autographs in the parking lot there by the, around one o'clock yeah around one o'clock by that beautiful lake of such brown color um yeah. come check us out um yeah and this also bodes well for us as a podcast because uh, we actually have not been recording this together. Uh, we've been doing this through video calls and kind of lining up audios and stuff. So uh, when we get together, hopefully, which of that is going to be soon, it looks like it's going to be soon within the next couple weeks, uh, we can finally actually sit down and record an episode together, which will be huge for us. Yeah, I actually haven't seen you since the Super Bowl in person. Yeah. So it's crazy to think the last time that happened, Pucks and Nucks did not exist. This was yeah, I mean, this was obsolete. So this is this is really cool, and uh, I'm really excited to you know be able to sit on the same couch and, and talk about these things in the future. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like likewise, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, before we go though, big news, huge news, probably the biggest news we're gonna share with you in the past six episodes, in the last year, in the last ever since we've been been around. Um, Apple Podcast has sent me and Daniel, of course, an email. And this is huge for us as a podcast. We are now available in 20 additional territories throughout Africa, Asia Pacific, Europe, Latin America, the Middle East, and Oceania. Now, these these regions uh, specifically, I'm sorry if I pronounce any of them wrong if you're listening in any of these re- regions. Uh, we're available now in Afghanistan, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Cameroon, Cote d'Ivory, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Gabon, Georgia, Iraq, Kosovo, Libya, Maldives, Montenegro, Morocco, Myanmar, Nauru, Rwanda, Serbia, Tonga, Vanuatu, and Zambia. And if you're listening from there, I mean, wow, thank you. Yeah, we do have a huge uh, Canucks fan base in Rwanda, we believe. So this is uh, a big step in uh, getting a little more media coverage over there. And to all those countries, so this is this is huge. Yeah, we're we're looking forward to really reaching you guys. I don't think we'll actually reach any of them, but if we if you do happen to tune in, oh, that's awesome! Thank you guys. Yeah, me and Ponus are actually working on our uh, Swahili, so we're able to provide this <laughs> podcast in multiple languages for uh, for those countries that aren't uh, English first language. We're working on uh, French too. For I know we got some listeners in Montreal, so. 
Euh... Mon français n'est pas bon. But, uh, ah. Parce que uh, <laughs> je visitais Montréal, Québec uh, uh, dans le février. And now uh, je parlais français toujours parfait. And uh, I can't say that in French, but um, I was there in June for Formula One and it was a great time. I love the city. Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully going back one day. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it was. it's a great city if you're listening from Montreal. We love it there. Yeah, that casino took a lot of my money, but that's a side point. Uh, that was a great episode. Our interview was incredible with David Codrelli, uh, as we expected. Um, he may have even set the bar higher than we thought. So that was a great interview. Uh, we'd like to thank him again for coming on. Go check out the Canucks conversation. Matt, any closing remarks? Yeah, uh, same as always. I mean, huge thanks to Quads, like you mentioned. Uh, let's always check our social media. Uh, might be some announcements coming in within the next week or so. Let you know when episodes are posted, even though you should know they're every Monday. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it for me. Just watch social media, as always. Yep, sounds good to me. And we'll see you next Monday. Take a freight train down at the station alone. I don't care where it goes. Gonna climb a mountain, the highest mountain. A jump off, nobody gonna know. Can't you see?